Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we devotionally move towards our celebration of God's gift for humanity at Christmas time, we are intentionally making sure that we see the birth of Jesus through his rightful lens of royalty, the true King of Kings. And today we come to the common title of Emmanuel that's given to Jesus at Christmas time. We're going to look at the historical context from which this title comes that we may gain a more thorough understanding of our ability to worship Jesus during Christmas. Thanks for joining us. Right, and what a difference, what a difference a hug could make. What, what a little piece of light to bring in the love of Jesus into someone's maybe darkness and the difficulty of their world and their circumstances. And that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? It's a chance to see the light of the world come and to shine in the darkness and change and transform everything around us. This is what it means to declare the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as Emmanuel. Isn't that, isn't that a cool word? It's a name, but it actually has a meaning behind it. Does anyone know what Emmanuel means? Go ahead. We're having a little Bible study here this morning. Yeah. It, means, it means God's with us. Now, for most of my life, as I've had opportunity to sing those songs and be reminded of that truth around Christmas time, it has always hearkened into my soul the idea of like a sweet little baby Jesus with us, right? Like that, in that sense, like there's this sweetness to Christmas, and that's what it means to have God with us. I was a little bit surprised to find out that's not actually what the Bible thinks. That's not the theme that the Bible gives when it uses the term Emmanuel. So for us to kind of get our bearings, and again, going as fast as we can, we're going to, I want you to look at where this comes from. Turn in your Bibles uh, to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. And our our primary text is going to be in Matthew's gospel, but I want us to start here that we would see what's going on. In Isaiah chapter 7, you have Isaiah the prophet bringing a word of judgment over God's people. For Judah and Israel have rebelled. They have rejected God. They've rejected God because of unjust laws, by taking advantage of the helpless, by disobeying God, by devaluing God in their lives, by practicing ungodliness, speaking lies. One of the foremost condemnations you find in the book of Isaiah is a condemnation over false teachers and their willingness to follow false teachers People who just say the things they want their itching ears to hear. For they have failed to honor God alone. And so in this message, a prophetic message of God's judgment to come. If you look with me in verse 13 of chapter 7. Then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings that you dread will be laid waste. All right, we're going to look at this in a little greater depth as after we, uh, we turn back to Matthew. So let's flip back to Matthew right now. And that little passage we read has the judgment of God coming over God's people. And yet there's a sign that's given that these 
foreign nations that are coming to bring the arm of God's judgment over God's people, their land will be laid waste. So it's even a little hard for me to make sure that we all connect the dots on this because here's the breakdown of it. Your life, because of sin, deserves judgment. Our lives, the, the terrain of our world that we've created is so estranged from God that wrath and judgment is due to us. And yet there's still hope. That's the message of Isaiah. There's a sign that will be given that even though God's heavy hand of chastisement is coming upon his people, God will still deliver those who belong to him. And this is for us living on this side of the cross in the New Testament, the greatest hope that you could give in a message of recognizing our own brokenness and the sin that's in our lives. In Matthew chapter one, we have the infancy narrative. And in this, we have really the account of Joseph. And I want us to read through it real quick. We'll make just a couple of notes and we'll let the kids come on up to see us today. So Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of, the Lord, angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. This is, by the way, verse 22 is a note from Matthew. Matthew's informing us here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here's our quote from Isaiah 7. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to his son and he gave him the name Jesus. We have, for almost your entire Christian history and life, been accustomed to hearing the name Emmanuel with Christmas, right? That, isn't that how it goes? That's brand new information here for Joseph. In fact, for the people of God looking for the Messiah to come, that name, Emmanuel, meant something very different to them. And we read it already through the prophet Isaiah. It was to be the sign of God's faithfulness in the midst of his judgment. Are we on the same? You guys track with me on this, right? God is coming to bring judgment over sin, and yet he will provide a way of deliverance. That's the whole message. And so whoever is going to come as Messiah is going to be carrying the mantle of God's justice and judgment. I think it's very easy for us to miss the way in which the disciples misunderstood Messiah. Right? You guys know the story. What did they expect of Jesus? He was going to come and die on the cross. Was that what they were hoping for? Not at all. He was going to come and overthrow the Romans. Because that was the foreign nation that was oppressing them. 
And even though that was a picture of God's judgment over God's people, Emmanuel, God with us, meant you're going to deliver us from this riffraff. You're going to deliver us from the wickedness that's coming to oppress us. That's the way they were thinking. Not sweet little baby Jesus in a manger. And one of the things I found surprising is that Emmanuel doesn't just show up in Isaiah 7. It shows up in Isaiah 8. And there's two movements here. Let me just briefly talk about those. Here's the first passage. Two parts to it. So verses 6 through 8. This is the first part. Emmanuel shows up right here at the bottom. Listen to the words of the prophet. He says, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the sons of Ramallah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria with all his pomp, it will overflow its channels, run over its banks and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread rings will cover over the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. Who thinks that sounds good? <laughs> do, do, you know what, do you know what that is? That's, that's the consequences of sin. That, that's God's judgment because of our rebellion. And so I want to ask the question to you. What... If this was the state of their world at that time, what about your world? Right? What, what has sin done to you? Both the sin that you are responsible and culpable for and the sinful state of the world around us that corrupts even our very intentions. What, what is the consequence for you and I having built our own kingdom rather than look to God? This was the state of the affairs that was happening for them. And so that's the question, right? This is happening in your land, Emmanuel. That's the first movement. It's God's judgment. Here's the second. It's the next couple of verses. So moving on to verse 9 and 10. Listen to Isaiah now. This is pretty cool, by the way, you guys. He says, raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand for Emmanuel. Do you see it? So here's the idea. The nations are going to come by virtue of God's judgment. But who is with God's people? Who is with them? God's with us. So come on, nation. Bring it. Let's go. You know what's going to happen? You're going to make all these plans. And who's going to have the victory? We are. Do you know why? Because, help me out, God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. When I was in fourth grade, they let us out in recess, and we, we would always love to play kickball. Like, it was the new sport that we all discovered. Um, and I remember this one time. I got to choose captains, and I chose maybe some girls that I thought were cute or something, but they were terrible at kickball. <sighs> My own fault. Or it was just girls, it was boys too, right? It was just, my team was losing until my neighbor came out. His name was Johnny. Let me tell you about Johnny. Johnny was awesome at kickball. And he was late because he was probably in trouble because that's what kids at kickball usually end up doing, getting in trouble at recess. But he came out and guess whose team he joined? That's right. And we were down. But then it was like, oh man, you guys are in trouble now. Johnny's on our team. And we had the bases loaded and he kicked it out of Florence County. <laughs> it felt like it, anyways. 
It was that moment. It was that confidence. It was like, yeah, I, I messed up as the captain, right? I, I, I picked the wrong people. And like we were losing until the champion showed up. That's what Emmanuel means for us at Christmas. And so my life has sin in it. Your life has sin in it. My life has the corruption and the influence of the evil one in the world all around me. But you know who's with me? You know who I got on my team? So bring it on, nations. Bring it on, world, because this ain't going to go the way you think it's going to go. Jesus is on my side. And I want to give to you a few uh, just notes here for observations and conclusions. The first thing that we pull away from this, because this is what Matthew delves into with the word of proclamation that came from the angel, right? A son's going to be born. He will save his people from his sins. Number one, it means this. God keeps his promises. I can't tell you what hope that is for you and I in the darkness. In those moments where, like Penny, we need a hug, right? You know those times where it just feels very lonely? Listen, listen. God has not left you. He will keep his promises. Number two, uh, I want you to see that God can save you from anything. That is really good news. Anything God can save you from. And so you and I may be going through really hard times, right? Whatever, uh, whatever prayer request gets your name on our list, do not doubt. God on your team means he can deliver you from anything that you face. In fact, if you look back with me in Matthew, can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes? Like it was a big deal in Jewish culture to pledge yourself to get married. People saved up for years and years to make sure that they could have a wedding feast. And here, in a culture that rises and falls on shame and honor, your bride is pregnant? Can you imagine Joseph? Can you imagine that moment? Like, for you and I, we know the end of the story, so it's like not a really big deal. And our culture is a complete pollution when it comes to marriage and sexuality, right? So we, we live confused on this, but put yourself in Joseph's position for just a minute. Because it was after the word of the angel. And I think this is the part that Matthew was like, Joseph gets it. Because this fulfills Isaiah's word. God is with. God's with who? Uh, With us. But in this text right here. Joseph. God is with Joseph. And so look at Joseph's response. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel said. Whatever Joseph was thinking before this, I got to divorce her, but I don't want to do it publicly. I mean, she's a sweet girl, and I just don't want to make a big deal about this. And how am I going to make this work? Can you imagine the anxiety is happening? And then the angel comes and says, don't worry, Emmanuel's on your team. Joseph wakes up and is like, okay, not a problem. It's not a problem. Come on, Mary. Let's get hitched. Like, this is me and you. And, and we're, going to be, we're going to be careful not to even be together until after what God has promised comes forth. Joseph does this because God can save you from anything that you're facing. Thirdly, and this is maybe the most important, the thing you need to be saved from the most is your sin. And there's an amazing name that this child is given. Yeshua, which is most commonly translated in English as Joshua, but it comes to us through Latin as Jesus. Jesus. Do you know what Yeshua means? The Lord will save. And so, yeah, you might have a hardship. You might have something tough that's in front of you. Don't worry. Emmanuel's on your team. God's with you. But the greatest thing that you and I need to be saved from is death. How long is this sermon supposed to go? Jeez. Oh, 
The resurrection, you guys, changes everything. And faith in Jesus now gives us a new life. Because we have been saved. Not from having to pay some bills that we couldn't pay. Not because our car broke down. Not because I'm fighting with my neighbor, right? All those God can save you from. What's the thing you and I need saved most from? And that's our sins. And that's what Jesus means. The Lord will save you. All right, lastly and fourthly. Our duty, therefore, then, like Joseph, is to believe by faith what God has said, because he keeps his promises, and then do what? Well, it means I need to surrender over, then, my messed up world to Jesus' rule, repair, and resurrection. Let me just break that down real quickly. What does it mean to take my circumstance, my little world that I created, and let Jesus rule it? Here's what that means. It means I don't make those decisions anymore. I follow the King of Kings. This, this is critical, by the way, because you, li- you and I, we live in a world that doesn't want to obey God's word. And so why should we obey it? Because the Bible says so, period. End of story, hard stop, because Jesus rules in my world. I surrender over what I want so that he makes the decisions. I heard this quote this past week. The throne of your heart will not remain empty. Think about that for a minute, right? The throne of your heart will not remain empty. Either you or something else will sit on it or the king of kings will rule in your life. It won't remain empty. There's no neutral ground on this. So that's what rule means. What about repair? Well, did you ever mess up? Any Christians in church this morning? Any honest Christians, right? Do you ever mess up in your world? Yeah, I kind of need a God with us moment. And so there may be something that needs to be repaired in your life. That's really good news. The manufacturer of the humankind has come to be on our side, with us, on our team. And so sometimes he needs to fix things. Sometimes that fix takes a while. Amen? Amen. Right? Sometimes the surrendering over takes a couple of months, years, weeks, decades. Sometimes it takes time to have that repair happen. But that's something that, again, we yielded over to God. Well, what about the last thing? What if it never gets fixed? What if whatever I've gone through in this life is irreparably broken, whether through death or disappointment, because of the world that I've created and because of sin in my life? We have hope for that as well. Do you know what it means for God to be with you? It means that the grave is not the end of the story, for the tomb is empty, church. The tomb is empty. And so we surrender over our worlds to resurrection as well. What do you and I do with this? Here's my challenge to you this morning. Where do you need God with you right now? Where do you need a champion on your side, on your team? And it's not going to do you much good to just listen to me and then listen to the kids. Get serious with this. I put some blanks. See them? Empty lines there for you to fill out. I double dog dare you to fill them out. <laughs> In- invite. Listen, invite Jesus at Christmas time to come and be the champion, Emmanuel, God with us. And so my expectation for you and hope the challenge is that you identify some area in your life that either needs his rule, his repair or resurrection. Write that down and let this be a change moment in your life. I want to give you just a minute to think about that. If you turn to the very last verse in Matthew, the very end of the whole story. This is where we're left with today. Matthew chapter 28, 
19 and 20, Jesus commissions the disciples, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Last sentence. And surely I am with you. Always. To the very end of the age. God with us. The promise of the champion is with you now. Amen.